Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome into the Autzen Audible podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully everyone had a good holiday. It's now Black Friday. You're out there st- you know, staving off craziness right now. And hopefully you guys can check out the podcast, check out duckterritory.com because we've got a Black Friday sale ourselves uh, for the next four days. We are offering 75% off an annual subscription to DuckTerritory.com. The Ducks are going for their third straight Pac-12 championship. They're going for their third straight uh, Pac-12 leading recruiting class. They're going for another top 10 recruiting class. Men's and women's basketball is in full swing now. You do not want to miss any of it. Uh, And you can get that for 75% off an annual membership to DuckTerritory.com. So if you or a Duck fan you know is interested, go sign up today and and get that huge savings. Biggest deal of the year. All right, we've got the Oregon versus Oregon State game, formerly known as the Civil War. Um, thoughts going into this one? It, it feels very down. It's, it's it's a down time right now for Oregon athletics in general, right? Like the football team got sure. their butts kicked. The men's basketball team's gotten their butts kicked. The women's basketball team is banged up. They need a win. The, the, the school needs a win. It feels like the city of Eugene needs a win. There's kind of a cloud cover. I will say the Thanksgiving festivity I took part of, a big talk was what's going on with Oregon football? What the hell's going on with Oregon's basketball? Is Oregon's women's basketball team ever going to be healthy? These are the questions I was receiving, whereas usually this time of year, it's a lot more optimism and positivity because the teams are all winning. Um, so that was a strange Thanksgiving. I'm sure a lot of those listening can relate to that, that there were a lot of conversations about things not going great with Oregon sports, which is not usually the way it goes during Thanksgiving. So um, it was a bit bizarre and a win on Saturday against the bitter rivals with so much on the line would, I think probably make everybody's holiday season a little bit better. Um, You know, I think, and and, and I think we'll get into it. I think it's going to be a really competitive football game. I I mean, there's, this is Mm -hmm. speaking with, you know, again, not to go into too much of the, the talk around the turkey yesterday, but a lot of it was questions to me as the quote-unquote expert of can Oregon win this football game? And a lot of my answers were, well, I think so, but it certainly wasn't as definitive as I would have anticipated my answers would be even a week ago when I would have looked at this game and said, yeah, Oregon will probably win by a touchdown, maybe two, something like that. It's hard to really sit here and predict something like that, knowing that, A, Oregon State and Utah, pretty similar teams in terms of what they do offensively, stylistically, Mm -hmm. and that these teams played head-to-head, Oregon State and Utah, and Oregon State won that game. So, um, I mean, there's there's certainly reasons to be concerned going into this one, and hopefully Oregon can figure it out. I think there's a lot of reasons to be concerned in this one. Um, Yeah, but same idea where, you know, two weeks ago you asked me, and I'm like, yeah, I know, Oregon should – should win this game against Oregon State after they beat Utah. And while well, they go to Utah and they get smoked, now it's you're kind of questioning, you know, what is it that this team does really well? Um, because Oregon State has a very similar offense to Utah. All three of these teams, Oregon, Oregon State, and Utah, have pretty similar offenses. Um, I was doing some number diving, and 
Oregon and Oregon State in terms of Pac-12 rankings for team statistics are very eerily similar. They are third and fourth, meaning Oregon State in third place and Oregon fourth place for the Pac-12 in points per game, yards per game. They're first and third in rush yards per game, second and third in yards per game, tied for first and in second for rushing touchdowns, both tied for first and first downs per game, and fifth and sixth in defense and points per game allowed. They are neck and neck in terms of their statistical values. And that's, you know, a bit concerning when you go into this game because they both, both teams do things really well. Uh, they happen to do the same things well. Um, I thought that that might have helped Oregon when they played Utah because I felt that they did similar things well and, you know, they might be able to just feed off that and, and playing their own team every week during practice. Um, Clearly, that did not help. And I'm not sure if it'll help in this week either. I have no idea. Um, it's really going to come down to what Oregon does in terms of their preparation for the week and their um, adjustments that they've made over the week, especially after watching Utah film. So regardless, seems like it's going to be a good game on Saturday. So that is something to look forward to. You guys were at practice this week. Um, just the, the vibe of the team. Can you guys just articulate just where this team is at? I think speaking with Angie Machado on Beaver Blitz uh, on that preview show, she was asking us about that. I did a, a radio hit um, with an Oregon State station in Corvallis this week. Um, they were asking about just the mental space of this team. I, I think that is probably going to be one of the biggest questions I have is just – where is this team at after such a deflating, emotionally draining loss? And because right. you, you, you just didn't get your ass kicked. You got your ass kicked on national television, the most watched ABC primetime game for Pac-12 sports since 2014. Uh, like 4 million people watched that game against Utah. And so not mm -hmm. only did you just get embarrassed in, in your ass kicked, you also lost the playoff. So I, I think the emotional state of this team is, is going to be a big key of how quickly do they come out or is there a hangover effect? No, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think there's any question. And I trust the culture. I mean, if there's, if there's one thing yeah. I'll say about Oregon is under Mario Cristobal is it doesn't seem to me at least like the culture really flinches in some spots. And I will say maybe we started seeing it cracking against Utah. Maybe that was mm -hmm. what we saw with some of the finger pointing from the receivers and the quarterbacks and um, and some of that, maybe that was a sign of maybe things aren't quite as sturdy and, and strong as I think they are from a support perspective. Because I think that, you know, you build the program and it's obviously built upon the players you have on it, the coaches you have on it, but it's also the chemistry and it's the way everything fits mm -hmm. together. And I think one of the real strengths under Mario Cristobal, and I think those maybe on the outside looking in don't understand this part quite as much, is, is just how close everybody is and the strength and the, and the camaraderie, uh, the culture that's put together. Um, the way Mario, I think, builds teams together in very particular ways with the way they go about doing their business, with the way everything is approached with that one and no mentality. And maybe we've started to see some of that fraying. You know, maybe it started with Micah Pittman taking off. Maybe it kind of escalated a little bit during Utah with a tough loss and with the way, you know, um, again, the receivers were and, and, you know, and Anthony Brown were chirping at each other. And Anthony was very careful with what he said and, and basically said, no, I think that's I don't think that narrative is real there. You know, that what, what took place there was competitors competing and being frustrated with the result, which sure that adds up, but you don't want to see it take place like it did where it's 
on the field on national TV where it looks like things are starting to kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of what was said in the general mood, I didn't feel like it was much different than any other week, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I think Travis Dye did a good job of articulating the fact that, um, you know, it isn't just another week, though, because this is a rivalry game. This right. is a game with everything on the line. Like, I think that part was clear. From my perspective, I'm not overly concerned about the culture being broken, quote unquote, and they show up and just don't show up and don't compete. Like, there's too much pride. There's too much on the line within this team. Um, at the same time, like, and I think we, I can't remember which podcast we mentioned this or if it was off air. There's a scenario in my mind where even if they do come out with their A game, maybe not even their A game, but they come out really dialed in and focused. Because I don't know if the A game is even really a, a possibility given some of the injuries at this point. But there's a possibility I could see them coming out focused and, and, and still not being able to win the game because Oregon State's playing right now at a pretty darn high level. Um, and so that's something to be aware of, too. I don't expect Oregon to bend over and just not compete and lose in a lopsided fashion for a second consecutive week. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win though. And, and Oregon state, as we've established is a very capable team that is also very hungry. That also has a lot on the line and never wants to lose this game because they understand the, the way the relationship is perceived of big brother, little brother. And this one means a lot to them. So um, that's a long about way of saying, I guess, I don't know exactly where things are at, but at the same time, like everything that's been said is in line with what you'd want them to say at this point. Yeah, I, I agree. There's just from talking to Dawson Jaramillo on uh, Tuesday after practice, uh, you know, he was, he was saying all the things you'd expect to hear, like that the, the team is still in good shapes um, or good good shape in general. Um, they can't look too much on the, on the Utah loss because if they do that, then he said that they'll get beat twice this week because they'll be wanting to think about that more than actually thinking about what's ahead of them in Oregon State. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting perspective of it all. Um, but yeah, this, this week means more. Um, it's a, it's a rivalry week. It's a trip to the Pac-12 championship on the line. Um, the players know that the team knows it, the coaches, the administrators, all of them know that this game is, is almost as equally as important as last week's game against Utah going into it, I should say. And, uh, and obviously a trip to the Pac-12 championship game would be great. That's a shot at another Pac-12 title there. Oregon's third straight, it would be. Um, I think there, a little bit is more importantly, you're beating Oregon State to get there. Yeah. And this is, I'm not worried about the culture at, at Oregon and under Coach Cristobal. This is, this is why he's here. This is what he's brought in. This is the type of talent he recruits to come in here and coach and play and all of that. And um, this is, but it's a big test because I don't think we've seen this before under Mario Cristobal, where maybe after the Arizona State loss, where they did have to play Oregon State again, it wasn't for the same circumstances, but you know, it's tough to come off those hard losses. Yeah. Um, and they didn't play great against Oregon State in 2019. They ended up winning. You know, Brady Breeze forced another fumble towards the end. And really close game, too close, right. probably too close and this could be another situation um so this will be a really interesting game to watch and see how oregon responds um i have confidence that they will respond i haven't seen anything from the players from the coaches or anything all week that doesn't tell me that they're not pissed off after what happened against utah and want to get back out onto the field and avenge that loss and frankly just move forward honestly i think it would have been better if oregon had uh, a Friday game or a Thursday game against Oregon State because they would have been able to get out on the field and not sit on this anymore. They would have been able to get out there and show that they 
have moved on, that they're still that talented team, that they were deserving at one point to be the number three team in the country. Um, so I guess that's my long-winded answer of saying that, no, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about uh, the mentality of this team going forward. I'm going to make a in-podcast pivot here. Senior day. But it's mm. also going to be an opportunity maybe for some guys that are going to go pro playing their last games of the season. Um, let's mm -hmm. run through the list here. And real quickly, is this their last game at, at Autzen or will they come back? Okay. Travis Dye. Are we making predictions? Yeah. We're going to do predictions. But there's, there's, cool. there's a couple guys I want to just talk about real quick. For sure. Travis Dye. I think he comes back. I'll say he goes. I don't know. Gone. I think it's really close. And and only reason I and, and and he he hesitated a little bit. He was asked about it and he said, "No, nah, I'm still making a decision." So, I think he's really weighing on it. So, I'll say he doesn't come back. I think he's gone. I think he's weighing on it for sure as he should. You know, he has the option either to go pro or not. Um, he doesn't have anything left to do at Oregon. It's as simple as that. Along the offensive line, TJ Bass and Alex Forsythe. Forsythe has said now he's coming back. So, you can wipe that one out. TJ Bass. I also think TJ Bass comes back. I say TJ Bass comes back, but Big Sala goes pro. Oh, I think I, I, I would just – I think those guys have been in the – I mean, Bass and Malasala have been here for a couple of years. They're Juco players anyway. And for yeah. Malasala, it's like, does he want to wait till he's 25 to finish college? Like, I don't think he wants the George Moore path necessarily. And he's shown enough playing tackle and also guard. I think he could get a look. So, I think, I think Bass is – also possible, but I'll say he comes back. But Forsyth uh, reiterated on Wednesday that he was not going to go pro, so that's that's sure that he comes back. I think I think they both stay. Obviously, Forsyth is staying. For Sala, I think he stays. I just don't think he's got a strong enough draft position. Uh, I think TJ Bass's draft position is better. Yeah. I still haven't heard anything about him, so that's a little concerning. Even though he's played well this season, um, so I think they both come back. I think they solidify the, the tackle spots again next year for Oregon. Uh, we all know Kayvon Thibodeau's gone. Um, so let's stick really? with the, the defensive line here. Popo, Amavi, or Brandon Dorless, do either of those guys go pro? I say one does. Um, Popo's been here for a really long time. I'd just be surprised if he comes back. I don't know if – Dorless, that's pretty fast. It's three years. And I don't – I'll say Dorless comes back, Popo goes, just because of – it's not even who's more talented. It's who's been in school longer. It's like five years versus three. I think they both go. I think Dorless is having an, a wildly good year. I know the stats aren't going to show it, but every time that guy pops up and you watch the game on TV, that's like the only person they can talk about on the defensive line other than Kate Thibodeau. And he's been a monster. So I think some team is going to take a chance on him. Just because of how quickly he developed at Oregon, there's a chance that he develops that fast in the NFL as well. So, both of them. In the secondary, I think there's two guys that have definitive decisions to make. Mikhail Wright and Verone McKinley. I'm going to say both of them are gone. Yep. I'll agree. I think that's pretty – to me, it's pretty straightforward. I think Mikhail has looked like a three like a three and done for a while. I think Verone, there's some uncertainty. He's been so good this year. Um, taking so many steps and it honestly feels like he's doing so much media and stuff right now. It feels like he's kind of preparing himself for yeah. post college. Cause he's just got his eyes on that. And maybe that may, or maybe this is the NLI world we live in where people are, you know, athletes are going to be more focused on some of the non-football stuff. 
um, as well. But I've just been impressed with the way he's taken on a lot of stuff this year, and I kind of think he's headed, headed on the way out. So I'll say they both go. I think they both go as well. Um, I don't think it's necessarily been the season that Michael had intended uh, for himself or from like a general fan's perspective. Um, Verone has obviously been a superstar. He's been one of the best players in the conference. Um, and if I'm Verone, I capitalize on this year. Um, there's always a chance that you come back and you know try to do something big and get injured, and then there goes your senior year. Um, kind of feels like you know, the Brady Breeze effect again, second time in this pod we're mentioning him, but then he chooses not to come back in the COVID shortened year. And I think that's a good thing because he went out on such a high note after such a great statistical and, and visually pleasing season in 2019, he was everywhere. So I think that's why Verone should go as well. I think that's it from a draft perspective of guys who could go pro. I mean, maybe, maybe, a. um, Bennett Williams decides to, to go or maybe a Mace Funa, but those would all be pretty, pretty surprising. I think in, in my eye, like Devin Williams, maybe, yeah, maybe Devin Williams, DJ Devin. Johnson, maybe um, that's another school one for me. Like could, could he just be tired of, of the school routine aspect? And we're not trying to say that they don't like school, but like, like you said, Eric about Sala, like, do you want to be, do you want to be a 25 year old senior in, in, in college? Like, that can be it's not for everybody we should we, well i was just gonna say we should note dj is questionable to play this weekend by the way just on the injury note from dj johnson so okay so it's gonna be interesting to see i mean travis died said he's not going to walk um pre-game ceremonies but it'll be interesting to see if any other notable guys do walk um mm -hmm. in this group all right let's Transition over now to some of our pregame uh, predictions for what's going to happen in this one. I'll start things off individually for the offensive side of the football. Um, I say he's coming back, but you guys both think he's gone. And if he is playing his last game, it's going to be a heck of a game for Travis Guy in my eyes. Um, I think he's going to go over 200 all-purpose yards, over 130 yards on the ground, and he's going to score two or more touchdowns. He's going to. He was not the focal point of the offense for whatever reason, uh, against Utah. And I think that's going to be rectified. And a lot of the offense for Oregon, a lot of their success, the vein of it's going to be Travis Dye. So we're jumping in here. So this prediction will make – well, it'll make – I'll explain it why it makes sense. It'll be surprising to start, um, and then it'll make more sense later when I do my team offense prediction. I think one of Oregon's freshman receivers has a 100-yard game. Mm. Um, that group would include – Chris Hudson, second-year freshman, that counts for me. Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, and then another name, which I didn't include, by the way, in my scope Adamas because it hadn't been talked all the way through. Seven McGee is now playing receiver basically full-time at slot. So uh, I'm including him there. I don't know if he'll have a huge role. He's still behind Chris Hudson on the depth chart. But um, I think one of these guys has a big game through the air. I think Oregon will need to pass. Um, frankly, I think Oregon State's secondary is quite susceptible to the pass. And say what you want about Anthony Brown and most of the things that during the uh, turkey talk the other day, from at least the place I was at, the things that were said weren't all that positive regarding Anthony, which makes sense, I think, based upon how we played last weekend and just kind of the way the season's gone. Um, 
but I will I will say that like I think there's a potential for them to have success throwing the ball, and I think if they're going to have success, it's going to have to come to a freshman. I could just see the way this rivalry works that it would be kind of fitting to have that kind of narrative develop of oh, remember when Dante Thornton had 130 yards to help the Ducks beat Oregon State in 2021 when everyone was hurt, and that was where his star, you know, first shined kind of thing. So I think one of these guys is a big game. In order for one of those guys to have a big game, uh, Anthony Brown needs to play well, which I have as my prediction. I have A.B. playing well, coming off of a brutal performance against Utah. I mean, there were moments against Utah where it, was, it seemed pretty good. You know, Anthony Brown was taking shots down the field. I have him throwing for over 250 yards, plus two touchdowns to the air, and a touchdown on the ground. Um, I just think this is like one of his last times to show, show out for Oregon. Um, they need him. Uh, like, like Eric was saying, I think Oregon State's secondary is a little susceptible to being beat deep. Um, obviously, the offensive weapons aren't there. Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red being out for the year, Micah Pittman transferring. You still have some talent, though. Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, um, Devin Williams. Those are all talented guys. Chris Hudson had near 100 yards last week on only four catches. These are some talented dudes. They can still get out and get open. Um, and it's up to Anthony Brown to find them. And I think he does this weekend against Oregon State. This is going to be a, a theme for me, and it's going to be a teaser for my game prediction. I don't think Oregon State really is going to be able to consistently stop Oregon um, on offense when Oregon has the ball. And I'm going to see my, – my team prediction is that the Oregon offense will score touchdown drives or just – they'll score drives in general where they go 60 yards or more four times or more in this game. They're going to drive the length of the field quite a bit and, mm -hmm. and put on points. Um, I think this could be a game in which, because of the styles of, of both teams, it could go pretty quick from a time perspective. But I, I have Oregon's offense going the almost you know the length of the field, essentially, four or more times for touchdowns or field goals. I like that. Uh, mine is much more tame, and it's, again, based – on the passing offense. Um, and I think these are kind of bold predictions because Oregon just was completely unable to throw the ball. I shouldn't say completely enabled, but struggled to throw the ball last week. They're down so many receivers. Um, and so I, I think 250 or more yards through the air on Saturday. Um, I think Oregon will want to establish the run. Obviously they will make that a priority. That was something that they just weren't able to accomplish against Utah for a variety of reasons based upon the way the game played out based upon getting behind, based upon penalties that made it hard to run on early downs, based upon, you know, um, some play calling stuff, which was seemed like first and second down, they threw it a little bit more. Um, I think they're going to want to establish the run, but I also think they're going to try to throw the ball deep in this game. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the first series, even just a concerted effort to try to move the ball down the field fast, vertically. Because, I mean, I do, th I, mean, I think Oregon has better speed yeah. on the outside than what Oregon State has defensively. And Oregon State oh, has given up big plays this year. Um, now, it really comes down to, can Oregon actually capitalize on this advantage? And it's been a thing that they've had all season. And again, all season, it's been very infrequent that they have. But um, and so maybe maybe I'm kind of trying to be too glass half full here. But I really think for Oregon to win this game, they're going to have to have some success throwing. I think they will. Brown with 250 or more yards. In fact, I said the team 250 or more yards. So 
Maybe it won't be Brown, but it probably will. Surprise pass. <laughs> who's your Who's your pick to make a, a pass as a wide receiver? Who you got? Who Who do I think could throw a ball really far? For some reason, Devin Williams feels like he could really fling one. I think, I think that's the target, though. What's that? I think yeah. that's the target. Like, that's probably the target. Good. Okay. Um, Dante Thornton. I, I just think one, I'm thinking bigger bodies. Guys have a right. little stronger arm. I don't know. I think I'm Chris taking has- I'm taking Dante Thornton. Okay, Matt thinks Chris Hudson. That's a good one too. I like him. He probably has a good arm. Anyways, um, just thought I'd ask because that's something we've that has hasn't happened for Oregon this year. Uh, just like an end around. So, for my offensive team prediction, I have Oregon with 200 yards on the ground, 200 plus yards on the ground. Um, I think they figure it out. Uh, Oregon State's near the bottom in terms of Pac-12 uh, tackles for loss, sacks, so they don't get too much defensive pressure going on. Um, I think Oregon's offensive line is really good this year. I think they were flattened by Utah last week. I think they had a lot to work on. I think they made some adjustments over the week. Um, and I don't think Oregon State's defensive line is nearly as good as Utah's. Um, again, no disrespect to Oregon State's defensive line. I just think that the, that's it's just a difference. That's all. Um, and I think that difference pays off. And I think Oregon's able to get some push and uh, really solidify their ground game with Travis Dye or Byron Cardwell or maybe Anthony Brown if Brown is feeling healthier. Um, I think that'll be hugely imperative, A, to getting to this prediction, which will help me, and B, getting to, getting Anthony Brown running. And uh, that's going to be huge to Oregon winning the game if they do win it. Because if, if he wins – or excuse me, if he runs all, that adds another element that Oregon State's defense has to care about. And that's just going to be a, a much easier game for Oregon to win. All right, team, uh, individual defense, excuse me. Oregon State leads or is second in the conference in rushing attempts per game at 42.18. Side note, Oregon is third at 39, hence the reason why I think this game could go pretty quick, Uh, both teams wanting to run the football a ton. I think with all those rushing attempts that we see from Oregon State, I think that's going to set up a scenario where Noah Sewell is going to have a big game. Um, I've gone pretty outlandish with some of these picks with him. You know, I think I named like 16 at one point. I'm going to tone it back a little bit to 12. Um, but I think this is going to be a game where if Oregon wins, it's going to be because Noah Sewell is very active in getting the ball carrier down uh, before he gets too many yardage. Because uh, you know, Noah Sewell could have 20 tackles, but it could be after gains of eight yards. And is that really a good performance from Noah Sewell? Um, That being said, I think Noah Sewell has one of his better games, um, and it's going to be required for Oregon to win. They they cannot win this game without Noah Sewell having a big game. He's going to have 12 or more tackles in this football game. I went more broad because at the time of making my Scopel Damas prediction on Wednesday, I wasn't 100% certain Verona Kinley would play. Um, and he's the person I had in mind when I made this prediction. But I'm predicting mm-hmm. an Oregon defensive back has – two turnovers that can be interceptions that can be fumble recoveries. Um, I do think Oregon will need to force some turnovers in this one. And I mentioned it on a previous show, I think with Angie Machado. I don't know if we talked about it in another one of our shows. I wrote about it extensively, just chance Nolan and the correlation between his touchdown to interception ratio being really, really good in wins. I think it's like 13 to three in wins or 14 to three in wins, but in losses, it's three to five, three games they've lost. He's turned it over. Um, at least once through the air, two, you know, he threw two picks, I think, against both Cal um, and Colorado. So this is a guy who is 
very productive when the when Oregon State is successful. When he's not very productive and he's struggling, Oregon State takes a hit. And again, I'm kind of reverse engineering an Oregon victory here of like what does Oregon State do poorly in its losses? And one of the things is turn the ball over. So I think and again, getting in line with my rivalry hero narrative, I think on offense there'll be a true freshman receiver who steps up, and on defense, I think a defensive back will step up, whether that be Jerome McKinley, who's kind of my top pick for it, or maybe it's a Jordan Happel, which would be kind of a, a nice narrative of in-state kid playing in this rivalry, making some plays, make, being a difference maker. Maybe it'll be Mikhail Wright in what will amount to his final game at Autzen Stadium. As we've established, we think he goes pro. Could it be DJ James or Jamal Hill putting a cap on a year that started with them being arrested for kind of really silly stuff and now they have this big moment at the end. I, I, I kind of can feel this would all feel pretty effective if this is what takes place. So again, kind of reverse engineering it, trying to find a narrative. One Oregon defensive back has at least one or two, I shouldn't say at least, has one or two interceptions slash turnovers forced. I, uh, I'm piggybacking off of Matt here. I had the same thought process, the same idea. Um, I also have Noah Sewell having 12 plus tackles and uh, uh, one and a half tackles for loss. Um, I just think Oregon State's really going to try to get the ground game going first. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sewell have like eight to nine tackles by halftime. Um, if Oregon can stop the run, um, they're going to force Oregon State to, to throw the ball, obviously, which could be where Eric's prediction comes into play. Um, but I think Oregon's going to be really aggressive on the, on the ground, ground game early on. And that leads me to believe that Sewell's going to be at the forefront of that. Um, I think he's one of the most talented linebackers in the country, definitely one of the most talented linebackers in the Pac-12. Um, Oregon State's going to have a lot to do with him. Uh, I think this could be a game where Jeffrey Bossa does some work as well. Uh, I think this could be a game where we kind of see the potential in Jackson LaDuke, if he's healthy, if he's up to football speed. Because um, he, he got in there against Utah and he played just fine. Um, yeah. We'll see how many snaps he gets this week. It might be something to keep an eye on going forward. Um but he's another no, guy who's already lifted on the. No hmm? Keith Brown this week, so opportunity for him to play a lot. Keith Brown's out. Right, right. So, yeah, that that'll be important to watch. I do think the linebacker position is going to be huge for Oregon against Oregon State with the tight ends, with the running game. Um, so that's why I think Noah Sewell is going to have a big day at the office. All right, my team defensive prediction. Um, like I said, my team picks are going to be a precursor for what's to come from a game pick. I don't think Oregon's defense is going to really stop Oregon State a ton either. Um, and so I'm replicating my offensive team pick to my defensive team pick. I think Oregon's defense gives up scoring drives of 60 or more yards at least three times in this game. We're going to see Oregon State just go down the field and put up points. And it could be one play, um, to be honest with you. We, we see funky things in these games. But I, I just think with the injuries that Oregon has, with the offense that they're facing, with the struggles that we saw the previous week, um, everything, you know, all mishmashed together. We're, we're going to see a performance where this is going to be one in which it's going to be a shootout. And Oregon's defense is going to give up some big plays and long drives that ended scores. Yeah, mine's also a non-positive Oregon defense prediction. Um, I think Oregon State, will run for more rushing yards in this game than any team Oregon has faced this year. Utah currently has the high watermark with 203. 
a week ago prior to Utah, it was 202 from Arizona, which is kind of funny that Arizona was the previous leader given the fact that the, the Wildcats aren't a very good football team, but that was where it was at. Um, so, yeah, I think Oregon State 200 and I guess four or more yards in this game to get to the number. Um, I think B.J. Baylor is a problem. And I think we saw a year ago against Jamar Jefferson, some issues stopping, not some issues, some massive issues stopping him, slowing him down and how that impacted that game. And I feel like we could see similar difficulties with Baylor on the ground. And like Matt, I think we'll get to our score predictions in a moment here. I think there's going to be some points scored in this one. I think it's going to be a really competitive game. I don't expect it to be one where, one defense completely shuts down the opposing offense. I think there's too much pride on the line. And, and frankly, I think these mm-hmm. offenses are performing better collectively over the course of the season, for the most part. Obviously, individual games are different, but that these offenses are, are going to come up and, and show some things. I think some of the optimism around Trent Bray and what Oregon State has done after making the move away from Tim Tibisar, like it's pretty impressive to do that against Stanford, I guess, maybe not. Um, and Arizona State more so, but Oregon is a different animal, and I think Oregon will have some success. But on the flip side, I think the Beavers will, will also move the ball effectively. I actually had a positive Oregon defensive team prediction, which is, you know, shocking. Um, I actually think Oregon has will make a lot of adjustments on their defensive front and hold Oregon State to under 175 yards rushing. Now, oh, completely. Love it. Exactly. 175 yards on the ground is still is still a lot. But remember, they average just a hair under 230 yards. So it's just like a 55-yard uh, difference delta. So I, I, I don't know. I think um, I think Oregon has, has – well, they absolutely must make a defensive line adjustments against Oregon State. They cannot go into Oregon State with the same mentality they had against Utah and apparently Arizona. But – and if they do, they're just going to get slashed. And I don't think that this team is going to get slashed on the ground that badly. Um, I think it's going to be really hard to contain B.J. Baylor at all. I think he's such a talented running back. This is a good offensive line that Oregon State has. They're going to get theirs 100%. Um, it just depends how much they get and you know how much Oregon can limit them in the in the red zone specifically and, and limit like uh, big chunk plays, you know, 20, 30-yard gains. Um, I think that's going to be the difference between a 215-220 yard outing from Oregon State and 175-165 of those big chunk plays. All right, let's move over to some game predictions here. Um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of punting in this game. Um, I think there will be some turnovers, but I think there's going to be a ton of points. And I, I, I just go back and look at the history of these games, and there seems to always be every other year or every year just a run of points. I mean, 41-38 last season. Um, Oregon did a lot of the heavy lifting to, uh, in 2018, but it was 55-15. to 15. I mean, that's 70 points there. 69-10 to 10 the year before that. In 16, it was 34 to 24 Oregon State, 15, 52 to 42, you know, 36, 35, 49, 21. Now we see a lot of points in this series for whatever reason. Um, it's not very often do we see you know a defensive slugfest like we did in 2019 when it was 24 to 10. I don't think either team's really going to be able to stop him. And the offense that just makes a boneheaded mistake or or the mo- the most 
boneheaded, you know, self-inflicted type mistakes will be the one that loses. Um, and the defense will get some of the credit for that. But I think, I think it's more so going to be, a, hey, Oregon got called for a holding penalty and then a you know, false start. And then, you know, they put themselves way behind schedule and just, you know, couldn't, couldn't make a move, had to punt, and Oregon State goes down and scores or vice versa. Um, I, I think it's going to be big run games for both teams. And I think what ultimately is going to be the difference is Oregon's red zone defense maybe not breaking and forcing Oregon State to take a couple field goals instead of touchdowns and Oregon being able to execute and score touchdowns when they get into that red zone and not settle for field goals. That's going to be the difference. Literally, you're giving up points but not giving up the most points possible. Um, and so I'm going to go Oregon 42, Oregon State 37. I've flip-flopped on this score quite a bit. I've had it 42-41. I've had it 42-38. I, I think it's going to be very close, and it literally could be Oregon winning from, from behind and you know a touchdown with a minute or less than a minute to go in the game. What you just said at the end there is what I think will happen. I think Oregon's going to score a winning – I think they're going to have a game-winning touchdown drive. And it's going to be a very frustrating game to some degree because I don't think – I think Oregon fans still – I don't want to say they all expect a blowout win or they expect Oregon to just hammer Oregon State because I haven't seen that. Yeah. I do think there is going to be a level of disappointment that Oregon will be trailing late in the fourth quarter. Um, but I think – and again, I'm just all about narratives today, I think. But I also think – wouldn't it feel pretty fitting for Anthony Brown just to leave Oregon's offense back at the end of a game? <laughs> all year, the fans don't like. Don't I mean? And I understand why. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bagging on the fans for being critical of Anthony Brown. We've been plenty critical of Anthony Brown, and for good reason. He hasn't played well in certain moments, but it does feel like he's typically had a response. And so, I, I'm kind of anticipating a game that is really back and forth. I, I would be. I think I wrote this on um, Beaver Blitz. We do a Q and A. I think I wrote. I'd be pretty surprised if one team leads by two scores for a significant part of this game. I really think it's going to be pretty pretty close the whole way. Um, I think Oregon is going to score on a touchdown drive at the end. Maybe the touchdown pass will go to this true freshman receiver I'm talking about. Or maybe there'll be another freshman receiver or another key player make a big play. I just could kind of see this being one where it's going to be a rivalry game with so much on the line. Obviously, recording this Friday morning, we'll see what happens with Washington State, Washington. Washington wins that game. The whole shebang is between Oregon and Oregon State. If Washington State wins, Oregon State is playing for a little bit less. But either way, there's so much on the line here. I think this is going to be a game that we look back in like five or ten years and go, that was one of the more fun ones in this rivalry in a while. I mean, I really feel like it's that's what we're up, what we're, uh, we're heading towards on Saturday. So I have a little lower scoring, but not a lot lower scoring. I go uh, Oregon 31, Oregon State 28. Oregon goes on a scoring drive at the mm -hmm. end to win this football game after trailing for most of the fourth quarter. I don't think they're, again, I don't think they'll be down 10, 14 points, but I do think they'll trail um, at times in this game. And I think they'll need a big drive late. Maybe this defense will need to get a stop right before it to, to give themselves a chance. But I think, I think this is going to be one where, where it, just because it, it feels fitting, Anthony Brown makes some big plays late. And the Ducks get out with the win and go get a shot at, the youths. I don't know if they want it. I mean, I do that. I know they want it, but after what they just showed in that game, it's going to be tough. But I think they're going to give themselves an opportunity to win. Obviously, you guys remember earlier in the season where, like, three straight Oregon games came down to the final defensive possession, and yeah. right on the goal line, and that's what's going to happen again on Saturday. 
That's Ooh. what I feel. Yeah, I don't think the, I don't think the offense is going to go down to lead the team to a victory. I think the defense is going to have to make a stand to lead the team to a victory. Um, okay. Again, I think Anthony Brown's going to have a good day. Uh, I think the offense is going to pick things back up. So it's going to be a little more high scoring than, than your average Oregon game this season. Um, but yeah, Eric, like what you're saying, your sentiment about this is we're going to look back a couple of years, be like, oh, this is a damn good game. This is one of the better ones we've had in, in whatever you'd like to call this, the rivalry, the former, the artist formerly known as. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be, I think it's going to be a really close game the entire time. Uh, definitely have Oregon trailing at one point, whether that's in the first quarter, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I just think it'll be really closely contested, really close knit. Um, definitely some tempers that are going to flare at one point or the other. Um, it's going to be a good overall football game. I'm excited to watch this. Um, regardless of the outcome, I think it's just going to be really good. Um, that being said, the outcome I have is Oregon winning 38-31. Um, I think this is just going to be a really closely contested game. It's going to be a push on the spread, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I think uh, um, there's a part of me that sees either team winning this game pretty easily. And I was pretty close to picking Oregon State. Um, ultimately, I decided that I think the home field advantage will help Oregon. Uh, I think Autzen will get up for it. Obviously, there will be plenty of Beaver fans in town to make it um, less of a competitive edge than normal. But the home field advantage, um, just the better talent, I think will come into play. Um, like a, meaning, like at one point, something like a Kayvon Thibodeau sack on a huge third down is going to be—it's just going to come, and that's just someone being way better than their opposition. Um, so I think that's going to happen a couple times during the game, where it's something will flow Oregon's way because they have a more talented player. Um, but I think regardless, it's going to be really close. I think this Oregon State team shouldn't be undervalued. Um, they're a very good team, very good squad, well coached. The defense is playing at a high level when they need to. Um, and this is basically for all the marbles. And this is for all the marbles in the Pac-12 North. So that'll be a lot of fun. And I think Oregon really wants another shot at Utah. So I think they're going to come and, and play hard. And should be a good one. Can I can I tie together your goal line stand thing? It will be what they weren't able to do last year in the Oregon-Oregon State game. Mm. Oregon State wins on the QB sneak in the closing seconds. You're saying right. this year we'll get it done. I like it. Good. I should know. Um, it, it's something that's interesting. I was tipped off this by someone that was at uh, Las Vegas for the basketball games. They're trying to push tickets right now. It's not a sellout. And face value of the cheapest ticket for Ots for Otson is $80 through GoDucks. And the U of O cut the price in half this week to try and get people to come into um, the game and we'll see if it if it's going to work out or not but i mean i i went actually and bought three tickets for my wife and two boys to go to this game and in certain sections there were plenty of seats that were available so i'm i'm curious a what the fan environment's going to be like and how many people from corvallis make the trip it could be a week where there's a lot of optimism around this Beaver program this season. Maybe we see a bigger crowd than expected. And with a downer performance last week by Oregon, maybe it leads to a less hostile environment. That would be kind of disappointing, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. the, the, the students are also, if they're not gone, some of them 
are, I think some of them have gone home, right, for, for Thanksgiving break probably. So maybe that's where some of that's coming from. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that would be disappointing if it felt like it was not a very raucous home environment for what's all on the line and I think would speak to sort of every. I don't want to say everything that's wrong with the fan base because I think the fan base is pretty great. But I do think there is a tendency to get kind of lost in the moment of what's been a special season and everything that's still on the line. If you don't think it's a good game to come support, I don't really get it. This is sort of a rivalry game that sets up everything you'd want for in a rivalry game where it's, you know, they Oregon State won last year's game. These teams are pretty evenly matched as we've established on this podcast. The winner more than likely wins the division. Um, you know, I mean, Oregon still has an opportunity to win the conference for a third straight year and go win a Rose Bowl. Like there's so much on the line. So I would hope this is more like logistically issues because of travel and Thanksgiving right. as opposed to it being the fans are just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm checked out. Well, I can tell you right now, while you were talking, I went to go back and look at the map again. Um, I hadn't done this in two days or three days now. It's significantly fewer available tickets. So it's going to be it's going to be a pretty good crowd it looks like. Good. But who bought those tickets? They, <laughs> yes, right. Great. They, they dropped the price significantly on a lot of those tickets. Well, we will see. I think that's an interesting angle. Interesting angle. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy your your Friday, get ready for yourself in a game on Saturday. Go to duckterritory.com post game. We'll be on uh, the site all day pu- publishing stories, getting video up, and then we'll have our post game podcast reaction, which could be leading to a discussion of season recap or a potential rematch and 13th game of the year against the Utah Utes. We'll find out here in, oh, about 24 hours or so. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.